0: This is Your Own Voice, the podcast about gender experience and perspective. I'm Amy Breslow. Each week, I invite a different guest to share their personal experiences regarding gender and gender issues. When I use the word gender, I mean the range of social roles, personality traits, attitudes, behaviors, values, and relative power that society assigns to females, males, and other individuals. Gender is an identity that is learned. How we define gender, changes over time and can vary within and across cultures. This podcast is recorded at my kitchen table and may contain sounds of life from my home and neighborhood in Washington, DC. Episode 32, Timestamp Part Two. Welcome to the final episode of Your Own Voice. This episode features Gabrielle, who identifies as a cisgender white woman and her journey of being an expectant mother during the pandemic. Gabrielle's story is an example of what happens when life turns on a dime and coping with sudden and unexpected change. This interview was recorded a month ago before the occurrence of recent events in the US, here in the States, and elsewhere in the world. We are going through a period of profound transformation and change. Although the outcome is unknown, it's clear there's no going back to what was, and there can be no return to the old normal on every level. It's for this reason that I've decided to end this podcast and begin a new one called Timestamp, which will be dedicated to authentic conversations capturing this moment in time. I hope you will join me when I launch Timestamp in July. There are many people I wish to thank for supporting me in the creation of the Your Own Voice podcast, and I hope to recognize them all at the end of the episode. But for now, I will turn it over to Gabrielle.
1: Yeah, this is a, a story in two parts, I would say. It's uh, part one being uh, quite an adventure and part two being um, a story of, of isolation and coping in a, in a very new environment for me during the pandemic. And when you asked me how I identified, I missed a very obvious one, which was um, that I identify as a, as a soon-to-be mom, first-time mom, and uh, I'm currently... Just seven months pregnant, 28 and a half weeks pregnant with twins, a boy and a girl who are expected to join us all in July. But before the COVID, um, my now husband and I uh, were living very high-flying, jet-setting lives. We both had careers that were having us travel around the world and you know, dozens of international trips a year and just, just craziness. And uh, we were both ready for a change. And uh, those, that change was in motion before the COVID hit. Uh, I had left um, my full time position in Washington. I'm a US citizen. And Bob is a Canadian citizen. And uh, we were coming together. And uh, I got pregnant in the winter. And uh, we decided, you know, we're going to make Canada our home. We had planned our wedding and everything, and, and everything was in motion. It was a really, beautiful and, and happy time. And our wedding was scheduled for uh, March 14th in New Jersey, which is where I'm from originally. We were neck deep, like all couples and planning photos and flowers and menus and <laughs> guest lists and all of those, those things. Uh, and we had the shadow of this pandemic creeping up on us. The crisis really started to roll, well, I would say, 36 hours before the wedding. Uh, the Insurance for our venue pulled out and there was a moratorium on insurance around the country. We are like, oh, can we have a wedding anymore? Uh, we figured that out. And then 45 minutes before guests started arriving on the Friday night, state of emergency was declared. <laughs> and it was, it was gone. And we had been scheduled to spend a week or so in New Jersey. I had medical appointments and then move up to Canada, you know, taking our time. But um, by the Sunday night, so like 12 hours after the marriage at that point, we realized that things were, were not okay. Monday morning, uh, first thing, I parked myself at City Hall and I said, I am not leaving until y'all give me a, a wedding certificate to prove that I'm married because <laughs> I need that to go to Canada. And uh, it was chaos by then that they were running around, there were emergency meetings, you know. It was it, it was the end of the world scenario there. And after that, I had a, a medical appointment a couple of hours away, actually. So we drove up to uh, to the medical appointment. And I'm sitting there uh, literally mid sonogram, like legs in the air, kids on the screen type <laughs> of situation. <laughs> uh, Bob's phone started ringing in the doctor's office. They announced the imminent closure of the Canadian-American border. And we looked at each other and he said, I think we need to change our plans. I burst out crying. Then like the sonogram lady had to call me down before I, she could continue her her, her work uh, videoing these little, these little unborn babies. And I would say from that moment on, we went into almost refugee mode. Um, I had just bought a car to upsize for the babies and it wasn't registered. And They were just literally shutting down all the registration places in the state at that point in time. So we had to do some acrobatics to get through that and then to drive two hours back to the house through everything I owned or could think of in the back of this new car. And the next morning, Tuesday morning, St. Patrick's Day, kissed my whole family goodbye. And I left the wedding dishes in the sink. (laughs) Thank goodness for parents and friends who can help with this stuff. And we, we started driving, and um, we drove 13-some-odd hours, got to the border, crossed the border, and as we were rolling away from the customs station, literally, uh, the news broke on the air that they had closed the borders to American citizens uh, as visitors, which is the visa that I'm currently on as I await my permanent residency. So the, the timing was extraordinary. Um, if we had missed that deadline, I could have been put through an alternative immigration channel, which could have had us separated for for many years. Actually, some of these processes drive on for for quite a long time. And if I had found myself stuck on the other side of the border, uh, my husband would have been faced with a very difficult choice because, of course, he can't work in the U.S. and his job is here in Canada. And as I learned two days later, I got a very dramatic message from my my obgyn in new jersey i wrote him with a common question and he responded i'm writing to you from the icu i'm here with severe pneumonia i can barely breathe i'm in critical condition you need to find another doctor good luck that yeah that was that was about 48 hours after arrival i want to say so it was very very shocking and i think that when i got that note from the doctor that's when the gravity of everything really set in and that's when chapter 1 adventure story kind of shut down and uh, we started really moving into to phase two. You know, a lot of it is thanks to the fact that we have the means to do what we did. You know, uh, I had just bought a new car um, and we had the, the resources and the community and family support to be able to pull something like that off, which is a really exceptional and privileged position to be in. And it's one thing to react in the heat of the moment. And I, we did make the right decisions. I mean, there was an original hesitancy. I had important medical exams scheduled for that week, and I was hesitant to, you know, do I, do I just skip them? Um, because it will take me weeks to get medical back into a medical system in Canada, so I would be behind on, on the prenatal care, um, or do we just dump it? And leave. And it turned out that abandoning the whole thing and, and leaving was the right thing to do, but you never know. Yeah, it's one thing to take exciting decisions and exciting moments, but I think the last couple of months have been we've really uh, felt the the weight of, of what we experienced. So um, I have, was very excited to to move to, to Nova Scotia and to build a new life here because of the way that the two of us had been living before, you know, from airport to airport. Neither of us had spent extensive amounts of time in our own cities because we were just in different parts of the globe. So coming here was going to be brand new. And I already had some trepidation, of course, about, you know, starting out, I'm, I'm pregnant and I don't know anybody here and my family is very far away and I'm very, very close to them. So that, that was already. A scary thing for me, even though I was very, very happy to be here. And when the COVID hit, I mean, that changed everything. My parents are elderly and have preexisting conditions. My brother is a nurse, like right in the epicenter of things right near New York City. Uh, so they were all really exposed. And I didn't know if I was even going to see them again. <laughs> like it was really terrible. And um you know, terrifying for me as well. Uh, In those first days we were under quarantine, I had to submit the um, permanent residency applications and trying to figure out how to do these really important things in such a crisis mode. You know, my car has New Jersey license plates and even the homeless folks were and everyone around us was kind of pointing and and whispering at me and, you know, this rejection and stigma. Yeah, I would say that first month was a shell shock. Um, the The stress, the anxiety, the the fear, all of those things that had come to a head during that exciting border adventure um, kind of came crashing down and coupled with the pregnancy, which is um, very physically demanding. I was just in a in a haze, I would say I was sleeping. Constantly and very difficult time focusing on work and all of it. And maybe in years' time, I'll look back and say, oh, well, the whole world was that way, it's okay. Or maybe it was really a a stress reaction, but um, it was very difficult for the, especially the first month, I'd say. Glued to the news, you know, talking to my family constantly and all of that. Over the past month, that's been shaking out a bit, but the reality of the arrival of these twins is, is settling in a lot. I've gained, you know, more than 30 pounds at this point, I can barely get around. (laughs) Like, there's no denying that these little people are on their way. And it's just not the pregnancy I ever imagined. I, I had always imagined being part of a community at this moment in time. And i you know, and I'm totally ignorant of childbirth and childcare. And I just relied on being able to take classes and to lean on, on friends and family and, and broader community people. All of that's been kind of taken away at this point. I find myself, you know, I'm sitting on YouTube in the apartment that we still can't really leave, like trying to understand how to give life. And YouTube is not a substitute for, uh, for, for loved ones and for human connection. And it's terribly isolating. Uh, this is a time that should be full of joy and celebration and coming together. And it's really been about survival and just kind of hanging in there and getting the basics down. You know, some of my friends had given me their books to prepare for for pregnancy and stuff and one of them was called a joyful birth or something like that like a a very happy pregnancy and honestly I was reading it the other day and I just broke down in tears I couldn't read it anymore because it hasn't been joyful at least in the way that I had always imagined it to be this is my first pregnancy also and um, that's hard and trying to I think now in month seven, trying to redefine what joyful is in these circumstances because it is joyful. And these children are are, are loved and are eagerly anticipated, but their arrival in the world is not what we expected it to be. And I know that the stress and the fear and the things that I carry personally now they feel it too. So, you know, trying to understand joy and happiness and those things in a different way that welcomes these kids in the way that they deserve to be welcomed and of preparing through Bob's community, we were able to reach out. And, um, I spent a lot of this week writing emails that start with, hi, so-and-so I'm, the wife of the friend of the friend of the colleague of the cousin of the person who works with Bob. Uh, and I hear you had a baby recently and mightn't have extra gear. And unfortunately, people have been extremely uh, generous. Yeah, and slowing down. And I, for me, that was the part of the bigger picture thing, too, because I've been going way too far and too fast in, in the career for, for years now. And I mean, we had already made a conscious decision before any of this had started to to change. You know, I had left my position in October and I was starting my own business at the time, and or this winter rather, when COVID started. So um, that process was already in the works. But in many ways, I've found a great gratitude for what has happened, or at least for the, some of the restrictions it's put on my life, because I wanted to slow down. I wanted to focus inward and prioritize all parts of things in life. And that was a longstanding goal for me. And who knows if I really would have had the, 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 the courage to do it or the discipline to do it. Probably not. You know, um, I've worked for about 20 years and always running here and there and on the next airplane. And that's not a possibility. The whole world stopped. So, um, That forced me to reconsider everything and find gratitude, and I think with gratitude there is joy as well. There was a point of realization also that when all of this was planned, I was pregnant, but I was coming to Halifax. I was going to have you know five months to explore and you know enjoy the the last of my my non-parental days and go to the restaurants and whatever's and uh meet people and join clubs and you know i had this whole plan and then all this happened and this realization occurred that there's no going back there's no return to normal for me um whatever is out there uh is going to be brand new and It's just, you just got to embrace it a little earlier than you thought you were going to and in a different shape and form. But there's no return to normalcy for me at this point. It's brought essentials back to front and forefront. And in my family, um, the story that has stayed closest to us in terms of our our family ancestry is the story of of Thomas and Nellie who were the parents of eight or nine kids in 1918. And um, they were both carried off by the Spanish influenza within a couple of weeks of each other back then. And the saga of the children they left behind has become uh, legendary in our family, and it's been a story that has bound us all together through throughout time. And Nellie's dying words were, to my grandfather, who was 14 at the time, were to, uh, to keep the family together, keep the family together. And my grandfather dedicated his life to that, and all of the descendants of that family have done the same. And that message, I think, has resonated with me very deeply throughout this time. Circumstances are unpredictable, and you never know what's going to happen, but you need to be resilient and find... Whatever ways are possible of, of keeping that family together. Do what it takes to, to keep morale and to, to keep people feeling connected. Something ironic or profound or both about the fact that it was also a flu a century ago that had that impact on our family. And uh, to, yeah, to find ourselves back in a similar place. And the confidence of knowing that that family did stay together and they did rise above it and all of these beautiful things came out of it uh, is is this inspiration to me, I think, at this point in time. So yeah, going into this having no idea (laughs) what's gonna happen, um, both because I'm in a very new environment, because parenthood is gonna be completely unknown to me and because of this great uncertainty that is now part of our world.
0: We've come to the end of the final episode. Thank you so much for joining me today, and I hope you will join me when I launch my new podcast, Timestamp, this July. Updates will be available at timestamppodcast.com. I'd like to take a moment to thank all of my guests and the many people who have taken part in interviews with me over the past year. To Amanda, Rose, Chloe, Zeve, Martina, Tracy, Barbara, Sandy, Matt, Kat, Mercedes, Kim, Sam, Mary Catherine, Quinn, Rachel, Chris, Liz, Margaret, Henry, Brian, Chessie, Stephanie, Kenny, Shari, Paula, Juanita, Anne, John, Camille, Sophia, L, Mimi, V, Soraya, Maddie, Linda, Megan, Sarah, Cecilia, Abby, Carrie, Alana, Heather, Trini, Justine, Michelle, Janelle, Jenna, Rosalie, Elizabeth, Jolana, Kristen, Rita, Anandi, Teresa, Lizzie, and Gabrielle. Thank you. Thank you for trusting me with your stories and for supporting the ongoing conversation around gender. I'd also like to thank my supporters on Patreon, who made it possible for me to invest in new technologies for remote interviews, which allowed me to continue the podcast during the pandemic. Thank you so much for your moral and financial support. I am truly grateful. I'd like to thank the friends and colleagues who provided encouragement and moral support when I started this adventure and stayed with me through the run of the show. Lastly, I'd like to give special thanks to Alex Moreno for providing IT support and helping me to acquire the skills that allowed me to edit and produce the podcast on my own. Thank you for your support and for being such a good friend. So that's all for now. And again, I hope you join me in July when I will launch my new podcast, Timestamp. Until then, take care and be well.